0: This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Well, I'm delighted. And honoured to be joined on the line by Andrea Gaudenzi, chairman of the ATP. First things first, you're in London at the moment, but obviously as an Italian, I have to ask, how are your friends and family, everyone you, you, you know and love back home?
1: Close relatives are actually okay. I mean, luckily my hometown in Ravenna is, is not been infected dramatically by the virus, but we've got a lot of friends and friends of friends that were having really a hard time. It's a dramatic situation for everyone around the world. Hopefully we can get out of it soon. We want to go back to normal and we want to start, you know, go back and see people healthy and and go through this crisis, hopefully as soon as possible.
0: Not exactly been a case of easing into the role of ATP chairman, has it? I mean, how difficult has it been from an administrative point of view, This just getting everything in in a row?
1: Definitely different from what I expected. It's it's about crisis management. I, I totally understand that it gets slightly difficult to move forward the implementation of the plan and the vision that was discussed with the the board ahead of this role but we have to manage like everyone else every company every business around the world first and foremost i think we should also keep in mind that there are people who are actually going through very distressed situation and they are in troubles i mean big thanks to the nurses and doctors and everybody out there and i think Overall our arts should go to the people who actually have been impacted, you know, they have health problems nowadays. You know, we, we do a lot of discussions on a daily basis on the tennis and the tour, rescheduling, and I try to remind everyone, guys, let's not take ourselves too seriously. We are part of the entertainment business, but you know, there are problems out there, real problems. So Yes, our job is somehow to put a smile on people's face. So we want to go back on tour as soon as possible so we can entertain the people at home. We try to do that. But we should keep in mind that health and safety first for our players, for our members, but for everybody around the world, really. Because any one of us actually not staying home and going somewhere is potentially affecting someone else, your neighbor or or someone who is weak, who has a precondition or is a little bit older age. So that, that should be our focus. Managing the current scenario is extremely complex, especially because of the nature of our calendar, the nature of our business. But I'm an optimistic in general by nature, and I try to see the positive side, which has been a tremendous collaboration with the other Grand Slams and the WTA and the ITF. So all the bodies coming together and discussing calendar, way forward, player reliefs, and many, many other topics. So... That could be the positive outcome of this is that finally, you know, the the governing bodies of tennis and the Grand Slam get together and work collaboratively on the long-term future of the sport.
0: And it also sounds like you're going to have, well, you must be living on Zoom at the moment or something else. And you've got a a lot of meetings around a lot of tables over the next, well, whenever you're allowed back around a table.
1: Yeah, it's, It's not a bad thing, to be honest. I've been used to work remotely the last 15 years, you know, managing startups with different, teams spread around the world. You know, we had the engineering team in one country, the product team in another. So we spent a lot of time video conferencing and remote working, which is not something the ATP was very efficient at. So maybe another learning of this year would be learning how to work remotely. There is no need of traveling every time and putting 100 people on a plane to have a meeting. You can actually have a productive meeting via video conference. Obviously, the players do need to travel. You need to go to on-site and play the tournaments, But management is not always required to be on-site to actually meet and make decisions. Also, because that is a limitation itself, because by definition, we meet only a number of times per year. And we need far more decisions than meetings (laughs) to be made in the future if we want to progress. So that's another wish I have for this year, having an organization learn how to work remotely in a productive way.
0: You started as chairman in January. Previously, the role of chairman and the role of CEO were done by the same person. Now, Massimo Calvelli is the CEO and and you're the chairman. So how are you dividing the roles, especially at the moment?
1: We need to prepare for the future. We need to prepare for the digital revolution, for the media revolution. So the help of Massimo, which is a great guy, had a long experience in, in corporate, both Wilson and Nike being in charge of sports marketing with a tennis focus it's really really helpful of, of managing the day-to-day operation while the chairman should focus more on the long-term vision you know interacting with the board stakeholders member etc and and also a vital important role is to manage you know and collaborate and discuss with the governing bodies with the grand slams and the wta that's that's a job in itself
0: you mentioned the the board and and the the player council, I guess, is a big part of that. Let's, let's talk about players and tournaments now because, I mean, that they've all been affected in, in various ways. First, the players. How much contact are you having with the players and the player council right now?
1: Frequent. It's, it's regular calls. I would say weekly at the moment. There is a lot of discussion ongoing, uh, mostly related to ranking and calendar, player relief. You know, everyone is struggling at the moment. Financially, the lower-ranked player you know, rank 200 and above, are really struggling, as well as the smaller tournaments, Challengers. So we, we are in touch because they have extraordinary decisions that we have to make in this time. So we, we definitely have a more frequent conversation than we used
0: to. Is the ATP considering any kind of financial relief package for players, as you say, lower down, and also tournaments? Is that something the ATP is even in a position to do?
1: Yes, we are. As a matter of fact, we will discuss it today with the Players' Council. We have discussed it uh, yesterday with the board and are guys at home, you know, obviously unable to play, unable to earn money with, you know, financially struggling. So we will try to help. The tennis player by nature is an entrepreneur is a sort of a self-employed, fully independent, completely different from team sports, basketball or soccer, where they are fully employed by their teams. So it would be very difficult to create sort of a structure that guarantees them a sort of a base. The difficult part of it is also, you know, being conscious that also the ATP reserves and resources are not infinite. We depend on the tournaments to be played and we don't know when we will go back on court. And one of the large revenue stream of the ATP is actually the finals. So it's, it's a bit difficult to actually go in full without exactly knowing how deep is the hole <laughs> somehow if that is the way to say it, but we will try to do something, you know, to to help those players who need it the most. And, you know, honestly, I've been quite touched by the top players who reached out, the big names expressing really the desire of helping the lower ranked player. We're also working and talking with the Grand Slams about it. They may want to join in the effort. I think it would be a great message for the sport. You know, the players do play in those tournaments as well. I mean, I think, you know, in, in a world where We think greater collaboration among the governing bodies is key. I think it would be a great message if we can all support the players in this crisis.
0: The FedEx ATP rankings, they're frozen currently, but those points from 2019, March to June, I guess can't count, can't go go on counting forever. I mean, what are the latest thoughts and plans for the rankings? Complex, I'm sure.
1: We have several options on the table that we are discussing with the players. You know, Some following the basic principles of our ranking, which is basically the points come off when the tournament is played the following year. It's a 52 weeks, best of 18 ranking. Other options are obviously related to a more bulk phase out of you take the points that you've done in the previous periods and you divide it by 52 weeks and you, you phase them out. None of those options is perfect, And I think we should make the final decision when we know exactly the date of going back on court. Because one, you know, the the length of the suspension has an impact on which one is the best option. So we will continue discussing with the tournaments and the players council and probably six to eight weeks before going back on court, we will make the final decision
0: players have obviously been hugely affected by this, that the tournaments are, this must be hitting them for six. I mean, how collaborative have they been with the ATP through all of this? And and has that changed from country to country or region to region, or has it been very consistent dealing with them all across the board?
1: No, I would say it's been very consistent. I mean, we, we took a very simple approach in the concept of rescheduling, which is try to preserve as many points and, and try as many as possible. So, we want to reschedule as many tournaments as possible across all categories, you know, because we should think also about the lower ranked player, higher ranked, etc. etc. It's not going to be easy. I mean, due to many factors, we don't know when we go back on court. You know, weeks will be limited, there's probably more tournaments than weeks, so it's going to be challenging. But I sense some sort of collaboration approach in understanding it. Is that there is no magic silver bullet here? We have to try to do the best that we can out of a Very difficult situation. And, you know, it's going to be a tough year for everyone. No matter what we do, there are going to be losses. We have to be aware of that. I think we have to be conscious of that. We have to accept it. And we also have to think a little bit and dedicate some more time into the future. Because it could be a good opportunity to actually now to sit down and really look into the long-term future of our sport. Not only focus on crisis management on the day-to-day.
0: One thing that hits tennis arguably more than a lot of sports, I guess, is just the truly global nature and, the, and the, the reliance on global flights and travel. Do you face more challenges than other sports, do you think, in this area? I mean, and how, how great is that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, even in the possibility of going back on court when there would be travel restrictions, the fact that we are a global sport and in a, in, in a big event, we travel from a 1,000 to 5,000 people across the globe, including as relatives, coaches, physios and everybody else, it's extremely challenging. It's much easier for a national league where you can confine the athletes into one city and you and, know and find a stadium and potentially have a show, it's gonna be extremely challenging for tennis. So I mean, but this is absolutely beyond our control. Let's be honest. I mean, there's nothing we can do, no matter how many hours we put in every day, every week. There are certain things that we can't control. And if we take an approach since the beginning, we took a health first approach. We were one of the first sport to actually start canceling the events in the wells. I think it's important because at the end of the day, as I said, we're going to be back stronger than ever. This year is what it is but we shouldn't take ourselves too serious in a sense that it's not worth risking one human life just to have one event. We should be very conscious of that.
0: You mentioned the calendar options and the amount of work going on with the calendar. Do they include potentially playing through December this year? I mean, could this year just never end in terms of its tennis? No option
1: has been disregarded. So obviously, you know, the ATP finals, you know, they sort of crown the number one in the world at the end of the year. So it would be difficult to have events with ATP points post the finals. It's a bit challenging because the finals O2 Arena is booked and it's impossible to change the date. But we're really looking into everything. I mean, it's again, it would be extraordinary circumstances. You know, we may actually have to do something that we will never do again, like having tournaments post the finals, but. With such a long break, and if the possibility of playing in November, December becomes a reality, we may look into it.
0: I want to ask you about the, the NITO ATP finals later, and obviously as an Italian, where, where it's going to next. But um, you talked earlier about the calendar and the fact that really everything's up for discussion at the moment. There are a lot of things that have been on off the table for a while Uh, just for example Indian Wells and Miami being a two-week event wanting to be aligned more with the slams than with the Masters 1000 calendar Shanghai apparently having similar ambitions to grow is this the time to be talking about these things and taking them into consideration seriously or have they always been on the table and it's just simply a time now when you've got a little bit more man hours to, to sit down and think about them
1: now, some of the things you mentioned actually were part of the vision and plan that I presented to the board before getting elected, like, you know, announcing the days of the Master and for one simple reason that they have the commitment of the top players. So this is definitely our premium events. That doesn't mean we want to compete against the Grand Slams. We feel the Grand Slams are the pinnacle of our sports and we belong to the same storytelling, starting in January in Australia and ending with the ATP finals. If you probably ask anyone on the street, Unless you're a core tennis fan or you work within the industry, they probably don't know the difference between, you know, a Master 1000 belonging to the ATP Tour and a Grand Slam not belonging to the ATP Tour, which is not true. If you think about it, it's the same ATP points, same ranking. We share most of the rules, officials, etc. So it does really belong. They all belong to the same tour and to the same story. In the eyes of the fans, we do. So why not working together? I mean, I'm, definitely we should raise the level of our events, but we're not competing against each other. The, the funny part for me is that even, you know, the way our calendar is structured is not, our tournaments are not competing against the slams and the slams are not competing against each other because they have different dates. So actually, if they grow, we grow. If we grow, they grow and, and vice versa. So I don't really see the competition here. My main concern is what the other sports do what the other entertainment platform are doing so that's where the competition is it's not internal so but if we can create that organization that serves the players serves the tournament helps run the business sharing best practices is very important is what for example the american sports do some great ideas may be done by wimbledon or by the tournament of, of rome or cincinnati can be shared among other members or and among the players so this is a kind of collaboration that we need to start having within the world of tennis that is not happening at the moment
0: just finally andrea on this current situation i guess would you consider holding tournaments behind closed doors no fans in the, in the stands as unpalatable as that seems and sounds lots of sports have been looking at the viability of it is it something that tennis would go for
1: as i said we, we're really exploring all options including closed gates. It is something that we discussed in Indian Wells, for example, because the players were already on site. We couldn't guarantee the safety of the people on site, everyone, not only the players. I mean, we're talking about ball boys, linesmen, physios, all the staff on site. I think it's extremely difficult for tennis because these people travel from all over the globe. They're not locals. And it would be extremely challenging. So again, safety and healthy first, it's going to be the priority. If we can play with closed gates, guaranteeing everyone health and safety, we will do it. If not, I think it's best to probably wait.
0: Moving on in the chat, Andrea, I, I wanted to, on behalf of the, the many fans out there listening, find out a little bit more about you because you've been in this role of, of ATP chairman for what, four, four months now. Many people will be fascinated to know more. We, we know you're a former tennis player, a very good tennis player. How did your own tennis story begin? Take us right back.
1: Well, I did not really have a choice, to be honest. My, my dad was a decent player. My uncle was a good player. He played in Davis Cup. My grandfather was the founder of the tennis club in my hometown, in Fainz, a very small town. So I grew up in a house full of tennis rackets. I started playing when I was three years old. And then I started competing in all the tournaments, under 12, 14 juniors, etc., etc. My father was my first coach. And it was my love and passion for my entire life. So I've got three boys now, 13, 11, and nine. They all play tennis here in in England in the LTA program. So I find myself traveling to tournaments on the weekend, coaching them and, and teaching them. My wife was a tennis player. She's been a coach. So it's it's all about tennis. If you come in my house any time of the day, 80% of the time, tennis TV is on, and we're watching a tennis game. <laughs> So it, th- that is what it is. It's just in our in my blood since, since a very early age. In parallel, I developed this passion for, for technology, for media, and many other things that gave me a chance to have the motivation and the drive to get an education, do an MBA, and then move out of tennis post my playing career, which I stopped around when I was 30 years old, fairly early considering where today's players are. <laughs> And then I started, you know, that path in the first corporate, in gaming, and then startups, you know, again, being an entrepreneur in different sectors, from financial services to, again, gaming, and the last three, four years in the music industry. You know, I've learned a lot of things. It's been an enormous experience. And a few years ago, I started collaborating with ATP Media, which is sort of the business arm, managing the media and broadcasting right of the ATP as a board director, non-executive, so I, I sort of got the chance to come closer to the world of tennis four or five times a year and observe, and after 15 years of basically being out, completely out, it doesn't mean I didn't observe tennis, I was just watching on TV, yeah? but I was not dealing with the business of tennis, and I, and I simply saw an amazing opportunity, I just saw this untapped potential in our sport due to the fragmentation, due to the many different factors and problems that we're facing. But where the world is going, where the media distribution, what the technology opportunities are, I just said, so much we can do. And, and if we compare ourselves to other sports, like golf, soccer, basketball, we can do better in terms of fan experience. This is one of the main driver that gave the motivation to actually start this job is I've always been of the belief that we should put the fans at the center of everything we do, which is sort of of what I've learned throughout my business career, which is a sort of a customer centric approach. The client is always right. (laughs) So the people who are watching tennis, are buying tickets for a tennis game, you know, they sponsor themselves. You know, they they sponsor the tournaments because they want to reach our fans. So it's, it's all about the fans. And unfortunately, our fragmentation in our sports doesn't provide the ideal fan experience. I mean, in a single country, you probably need two, three different subscriptions to actually follow the the entire tour from the beginning to the end, including the WTA, which is sold uh, the rights are sold separately. And then it's about data, you know we, we, we have many different ticketing platforms, website. we duplicate efforts, investments in technology. So there's so much potential by centralizing all those functions and start focusing on competing against the other sports. But not only. because the reality is that in today's world, you compete against any other entertainment platform. If you sit down and watch TV any time of the day, you have an option to watch a series on Netflix, listen to music, watch another sport, or maybe a game of tennis. So we we need to sort of step up and increase uh, the level of how professionally we manage the business and the rights in order to compete, especially given the changes that are ahead of us.
0: And what are the cornerstones of your vision for tennis? What made the board, I guess, go for you?
1: Where I see the sport in the future is one sport, basically providing a better fan experience, focusing on the fan first. You know, the, the last 15 years in, in the different industries I've worked for, it, it taught me to actually focus on the client and the customer-centric uh, approach we we have to deliver a better experience especially in terms of media and data distribution we do a great job i think on site on the events but the second part the most difficult is actually to get to align the stakeholders players and tournaments currently in the past they have been spending most of their times you know trying to solve internal conflicts that's where the most amount of time energy and resources were spent While in reality, our competition lays outside, we compete with other sports. We compete with other entertainment platforms. You know, the technology is evolving rapidly. So we need to invest in in people, human capital. We need to invest in technology and we need to work more closely with the other organizations, specifically the WTA, ITF and the other Grand Slams, because together combined, we can invest more in technology and innovation, and we can provide a better experience to the fans, which is key here we are lucky because we could be delivering around six months of premium content where we have the top players playing is many matches throughout the days different time zones so it's it's a great product for the broadcasters and i i do believe that in the future we will see more companies starting acquiring uh, sport rights you know the likes of apple netflix amazon has already started so there is a big opportunity but we have to get it done our internal work and homework before we actually ready for for the next step and leveling up in terms of both technology and distribution
0: and how important is the women's game in that because you know we have the two side by side at the slams at some of the masters women's tennis actually relative to other sports is very strong in the global sporting landscape how important is the women's game in your vision alongside the men
1: It's extremely important and I think it's it's one of our biggest advantage towards our competitors because not only we have a great women product but also our audience is fairly split among women and men and a combined event I strongly believe is a better event both on site and and on media And, and it's just great the variety is great our fans they love both. So we have strong combined tournaments within the ATP and WTA and the Grand Slams are combined. So it's really a no-brainer and actually we are lucky to be at the forefront in that regard and other sports should be looking after what we have done so far. It's really important and it's a huge opportunity because it becomes very appealing content for, for the broadcasters.
0: And tennis, you know, the ATP has its own OTT platform, app, you know, all of that. But... Is that enough these days? Which sport do you see winning here? Which sport or sports are leading the charge when it comes to really winning eyeballs?
1: In terms of innovation, there is no doubt that the American sports, and I'm referring to NBA, NFL, MLB, are probably ahead of the game. It's in somehow easier for them because 90% of the business, 80-90% is US-owned. Mm. So if you are one market, and one of the biggest markets by the way and you don't have to deal with the complexity of being global because let's be honest i mean we our rights revenues are coming from 50 60 different markets it would be much easier to manage if you are you know one market only and your organization is there that doesn't mean that we can't do it i mean golf itself is facing tremendous fragmentation in a way it's a strong u.s port obviously they have a big advantage there but it can be done. It's not impossible. It's just the motivation behind which is probably has been lacking in the past. And maybe we we find the right momentum. Maybe this crisis actually can be helpful to give the proper motivation to everybody to say, hey, now we're really facing a tough time. Let's step up the game and let's get together and, and do what is right for the sport.
0: So is your focus more about unifying tennis as a product and by that I mean men's tennis women's tennis you know whether it's ATP WTA ITF anything as opposed to giving the punter out there just one screen one means that they can watch it because I'm guessing that if you have your own OTT platform like a tennis tv you can't necessarily rely on that solely. Because you also need to be selling your rights to, to broadcasters, whether it's Amazon or ESPN or whoever. So h- how do you strike that balance?
1: That's a very difficult balance, but we need those partners. We need the Amazon of the world, Sky, ESPN, Tennis Channel, anybody who is distributing our content. We definitely need them now and we will need them in the future. Don't get me wrong. The direct-to-consumer the OTT platform, in my opinion, it's a great product, the one we have. It just lacks... The Grand Slams and the WTA content. Because if you are a tennis fan, you want to see it all in one platform. You want to see the full story from January until November. So that is a proposition that is rich. You know, you have the archive, you have many different things. You can watch 15 games, you know, in 15 courts, you can watch everything. And it might be a different audience from someone who gets an ESPN plus subscription and maybe just wants to see tennis four or five times a year. So I'm not saying one is a substitute of the other. I think they complement each other. They just serve two different
0: types of fans. And in terms of who users or you know people have been tuning in to watch, certainly in the men's game over the last 10, 15 years, tennis has, let's, let's face it, relied quite heavily on three three names, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. A lot, a lot of people will miss these guys when they're gone they're so transcendent in a way, you know, they, they just, they're more than just tennis. Do you have any concerns about life after these guys?
1: We will definitely miss them and it will be hard to replace their career records. Let's be honest. I mean, when I retired, I thought nobody ever could beat Pete Sampras' record of, of winning 14th Slam. Right? There is no way that a human being can go beyond that. And we have three of them now. <laughs> so, it's just incredible. But, in parallel at the time, everybody thought, oh, post Agassiz Sampras is going to be really difficult. And there we have. We had Roger, Rafa, Novak, and we had other great guys. And we still have. So who knows? I'm, I'm very confident for one simple reason. The product is the game of tennis. And we have great tournaments with a fantastic infrastructure, the Grand Slams, Thousands, 500, 250s. And we will always have great players because the game of tennis is great. So... Yes, you can have ups and downs, but I'm really confident about the future because our product is very smart.
0: What can tennis do to help create household names out of people like Sasha Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Felix auger Aliassin, these new young kids coming through? Is it down to them to make themselves into household names or does the ATP or, and tennis in general have a role to play in, in trying to fast track that happening?
1: No no we definitely should have a role in marketing the players in developing you know the distribution of the content in helping them in their social media efforts. It's very important and it, and it's all about nowadays about content creation, mostly video. Short form is extremely important is a great marketing tool for our live product, which is essentially watching the entire match. And and we need to start thinking about having, you know, highlights, shorter form because not everybody has the availability to stay two, three hours or four hours and watch a tennis game during weekdays. Maybe they want to watch a shorter version, you know, later in the evening when they come back from work. So it's all about doing that. I mean, ATP Media has been doing a great job, and I think we need to work even closer with them and potentially, you know, get everybody else on board, WTA and the Grand Slams, because, again, the players are playing all these tournaments. So it's not only about the ATP, but all the players, including WTA players, they play in all the tournaments, including the slams. So if we can create a story around that and reach and create content, which is very appealing for the fans, because the fans, they also want to know about what these guys are doing before the match, after the match, when they're off-season, what they are doing at home, how they train. They, you know, It's all about delivering the, the content in the right format and through the right platform. So we definitely should play a role in that.
0: And to have the players come with you on it, I guess. Because if if the vision is to create more content, but Stefano Sitsipas, who's a great example here, he goes out and does his his podcasts and his vodcasts. If he's creating it on a separate YouTube channel, then you you want to bring him in, don't you? You want that to be part of your offering.
1: That's a good point. But I think it's up to us to show that we can do a good job. We are professional. It's also, I think, a role of you need to be fully transparent with the players. And between tournaments and players, there should be full transparency and trust. Because if the players understand that by offering more more space to the media and the content, the tournament will grow, and if the tournament grows, they grow. Because we are in the same business. Without the tournaments, there is no tennis game, and without the players either. So we need the 50-50 partnership to work in order to move forward. It's a must, and it needs to be a partnership. It cannot be a Continuous discussion about this or that, because otherwise it's, it doesn't work.
0: And how excited are you, Andrea, by the, I guess, the batch of new guys coming through? Because you mentioned before, you know, that the big three, uh, the, the big four, if we're talking about Andy Murray as well. They're not going to be around forever. These new kids are coming through. In a way, it helps, doesn't it, that they've, they've grown up with digital platforms they've grown up from a very young age with you know talking to to the atp and they're they're used to talking with with people how impressed are you with the way that they are coming through given that you yourself won two grand slam junior titles and needed that springboard i guess or, or how impressed are you that they've you know some of them come through without having too much of a junior career to talk about
1: i think that the level of the game nowadays is incredibly high and, and it's the reason why it's difficult for a young player to come through is because the level is high. And then those players who have come through, they are tremendous athletes and great tennis players. So the the advancement nowadays in terms of scientific knowledge, preparation, training, that creates in itself a better better athlete, and better athletes will eventually play a better game of tennis. So the level keeps going up, which means that the show keeps improving and the entertainment level is also you know it's just a better game nowadays if you look at it then there are different many different aspects obviously the quality of the picture i mean if you think about it you watch a game in the 90s in comparing to watching today high quality 180p it's, it's a completely different thing so there is a lot of factors that i think we should be really smart about to improve the level of our product the least concern i have is about the players they play great tennis. They do an amazing job. I'm not concerned
0: about that. One event I did say earlier that I wanted to, to talk to you about, and, and an event that all the players get behind, there's no question, is the NITO ATP Finals. As you say, it's the, the bookend at the end of the year. I have to ask you about the move to Turin from London. How will Turin build as an Italian on what the O2 has already achieved?
1: The the O2 has done an amazing job. I mean, London is a a great city, so the level is high. I think, you know, the Italians have been very passionate about the game of tennis, especially lately. They have shown that they can organize a great tournament. And there is a lot of passion, dedication, motivation, and a great team behind it. So I'm confident it will be a successful event. We will have challenges. I mean, with the economic downturn of the future, there will be consequences to this current situation, so it won't be easy but I'm confident that we will be able to put up a very really good show.
0: And just finally, Andrea, coming full circle to the back, I guess, to the, the current situation and hopefully looking beyond it as well. But what are your objectives um, for the next, well, for the rest of this year first? Let's just start start there.
1: First of all, you know, I, I think our focus should be on the health of the people and how the situation evolves outside of the world of tennis. That's the most important thing, as I said we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. I think my main wish for this year that we start the year more united, we end the year, sorry, more united, because we are a bit of a crossroads. Like every time you face a challenge like this one, you can go two ways. You either start fighting or you actually get together and do the right thing. And I really hope that we take this opportunity to do the right thing and get together and build the right foundation for the future. If you ask me what wakes me up in the morning, it's something that, you know, I've done as an exercise at the beginning of this mandate, even before preparing the presentation to the board, getting elected, which was basically a sort of a letter from 2035, it's sort of where would you want the sport to be in 15 years? And if I summarize it, it's, it's one sport, an incredible fun experience across all platforms, but also with a one OTT, one-stop shop, where if you're a tennis fanatic, you can spend 10 hours a day watching every tennis game available, no matter which tournament. Short form, long form, archive, everything, for a fair decent price in a subscription. And continue to deliver great live events, because the live experience is also extremely important. But we actually do a great job in that. In all honesty, we, we currently do a great job in the live environment. We need to innovate in terms of sponsorship, and it, goes, it has to go along with media. I mean, it's, it's very linked to that. So we cannot separate the two. But overall, it's, it's one sport, all united, and deliver a much better fan experience. And I would like to see tennis in the top three sports in every country around the globe. I know we probably can't beat soccer in Europe or American football or basketball in the States. But if we are a solid top three, top five in every country in the world, that's where I would like to be in, in 10, 15 years.
0: Andrea Gaudenzi, it's been a a real pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas and and your wisdom. And uh, let's hope that at some stage soon we can get players back out on courts. But um, until then, thank you very much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye.
0: If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.